Welcome everyone to our next podcast, uh, the episode two, West Texas Law, Money, and Sports, right here in the headquarters of the Mathis Law Firm and our first special guest today, but I want to first introduce uh, who's in the room with us. This is kind of his place, uh, Austin Mathis and, of course, Greg Connor. Yeah, Mathis Law Firm here it's from San Angelo, Texas, Austin Mathis, as always, um, protecting your individual rights after being injured uh, from the negligence of someone else, uh, working on a lot of car wreck cases, um, New Year resolution, trying to help more people. How about okay, that? Okay, nice. To be cheesy. It's, it's a little cheesy. I, was, I, would, I would expect something cheesy from Greg. Let's see what he's going to say. Well, you know, the, my whole life I've always made fun of the resolutioners. I've always said that the gym and church are the two places to avoid at the first of the year because those are the places everybody's going to be. Uh, but that being said, 60 pounds later, I'll be one of those resolutioners this year. So uh, <laughs> trying to get right with God and get my, get my shape back. I like it. All right, so uh, we told you before, we, we kind of teased you last month that we were going to have a special guest on. We're going to have, again, the title of this, it's all about West Texas. It's Law, Money, and Sports. And uh, we have somebody with us today that it's not often you get a coach, a college coach that's won a national championship. But uh, baseball is keen in this town, in San Angelo. I think you just go out to an Angelo State baseball game, you can see that. But uh, glad to have with us the head coach of 20 years now of Angelo State baseball, Kevin Brooks. Great to be here. Uh, excited and uh, looking forward to sitting down and chatting for a while. Besides coaching baseball, one thing you're really good at is running your mouth. <laughs> you love to chat and talk. We always said if you were not in coaching, you wanted to be a sportscaster. I think, yeah, I still, you know. Uh, that dream's not dead, so uh, I hope I hope somewhere down the line maybe I get a chance. You know, you know those witty comments I make during games. <laughs> so maybe you win a few more natties, you'll get that opportunity. Maybe we'll see. We'll see. Angelo State baseball last year won their first ever national championship. For those who don't know, in uh, in baseball, in fact, it was the first ever national championship of any men's sport since Angelo State joined NCAA uh, back in the uh, early '80s. It was back in the middle of June. Here's what it sounded like when Angelo State won that national championship. Bragg trying to collect himself, takes a big breath. 6-5 ASU, top of the ninth. Now the 1-2 pitch. Swung on and missed! Small ball is championship ball at the home of USA Baseball. The best team in the USA is Angelo State. The Rams win 6-5 over Rollins and win their first national title in school history. Now you've had a few months, Kevin. Uh, when did it finally sink in that your team won a national championship? You know, uh, I don't know if it has um, yet. Um, I, uh, hopefully when I'm you know, done, uh, I'll be able to look back on it and, and be really proud of the, that achievement. I would say probably the closest it got, ring presentation day, which was our alumni game day. And so to have so many of those guys back um, meant so much to myself and coaches and just the program in general. And, you know, the, as I've said many times, this team happened to be the team that, that did it. Um, you know, all those guys that came before them sort of set the stage um, to get us to, to that point where we were able to finally push through and get it done. So um, just seeing how proud uh, all those guys were and knowing what a big part um, they had in helping us achieve that um, really meant a lot. And so uh, I was on a plane flight at 5 a.m. the 
day after we got back, trying to go do it again this year. So we'll see. I think that's the one thing you always look forward. Um, don't look backwards too much. Kevin Brooks, head coach of Angelo State Rams baseball. And I've known Kevin for a long time, for 20 years, since day one of uh, the Rams. And you've had some great teams. In fact, last year was the third consecutive year he went to the Division II World Series. Only eight teams make it, just like Division One. When you look back at 2023, was there – a point in the season that you had a moment when you thought, man, this, okay, this team can win the national championship. The season progressed, obviously. Uh, we had Kay Bragg. When you have the best pitcher in the country, that helps um, a lot. We just uh, got some people healthy at the right time and uh, felt like that. But I wouldn't say there was ever just a moment you're like, this team's good enough because we thought we were starting the season. Um, thought that many years, you know. Zero losing seasons as a head coach? Yes. Six NCAA Division II World Series appearances. Seven now. Seven now. I think. And 51 players to advance the pros after being coached by you. I think that's uh, something like that. (laughs) Just to tie it into small business, um, working together as a team, uh, you know, work and putting a team together. First of the season, what's what's your dynamic? Give us some ideas of what you're doing to to jail these players to come together and win like this through my coaching journey so to speak one of the best things i did was uh i was finally making some money and you know and thought i was rich and uh quit my job to go be a volunteer at uh texas a&m under mark johnson who's a hall of famer coach and never seen anybody be able to bring a group together you know, just going towards a common goal and and feeling really valued uh, in their whatever their job was to go try and achieve that. And so, one of the many things I learned from him that I was uh, been able to just sort of take some stuff and use going forward. And I think the biggest thing, and that is especially in today's day and age, which it's a lot about me and and you know what's in it for me to get uh, a large group of people to put aside sometimes their selfish needs or whatever for the good of the group um, and being able to do that consistently and so a lot of it starts now with our players um, our players that are returners just uh, indoctrinating or, or teaching um, the new guys hey this is how we do it this is how you're going to be successful this is how we're going to be successful and then uh it's a daily thing i think just the daily interaction um and the reminder of what the goal is even though it's way way down the line and explaining how you know you maybe want to be the starting shortstop but you're the backup right now um but how one how can i be valued and have value in that role and then um you know what what am i going to get out of it when everybody does good for me sacrificing um, and just sort of reiterating that uh, on a daily basis and just showing the value in that, you know, and that goes all the way from our secretaries to, you know, the, our managers to the third string guy to the All-American. Um, each one has a different role to play, and it's imperative that they execute that role. And if they don't, we're going to suffer. Therefore, they're not going to get uh, you know what they want out of it personally as well, and and I think that's one thing uh, you know that I have improved on over the years is just learning the value of that. And then the other thing is we we love each other. 
throughout that national championship winning uh, season, did you ever have a, a moment where the team got down, like the lowest point, and, and you met that adversity? We really didn't. You know, that's one thing I always uh, I steal from Lou Holtz. You know, every team's going to have three major bits of adversity, and how you respond to that is ultimately going to tell your story and how you finish. And we did, but they were just little bumps. Uh, you know, we, we lost – two games at a series uh, early in the year on the road at Tyler. And then the last series of the year, uh, we lost a doubleheader. We lost two in a row to West Texas and we're down five or six runs in game four. Um, came back and won that. You know, in the regionals, we almost didn't didn't make it out. We were down four or five runs uh, going to the fifth in an elimination game against Tyler and came back and won that. But that was really it, which is really weird. Um, it's a very unusual year, but we didn't face a whole lot of adversity. And our coaches actually were just talking about that last week on how different it was. You've been here 20 years and, and you've been a blessing to this community. Jeremy and I have talked a lot about facilities and uh, how, you know, you're already above a lot of D1 schools as far as your facilities. Talk to us a little bit about facilities, what you've got now, what could be better and community and what that means to a national championship run. Facility-wise, and that's the one thing, I, I still, I've got pictures uh, on my computer of, of what we started with. A lot of people might remember um, the Colts were here, and, uh, you know, that, that stadium was built in uh, 2000, um, and, uh, you know, part of the deal was if Angelo State ever added baseball that that they could use that facility and so that was a big reason angelo state added it um there were a lot of uh there's some give and take on that it was it was uh harlem bruja who who and and dean Hagelin started the colts by the time we started it they were about two more years and then they they sold it um to a guy out of florida that uh just uh wasn't putting probably the money into the facility or anything. Um, you know, I still remember 2006 or, or might have been seven. It was seven. It was the first time we went to the World Series. You know, we had to practice in the fall. We didn't get to use the field. We were locked out of the field um, until the day before our game. And we got an injunction from a judge that allowed us to go in. So it hadn't been touched. And so weeds, everything, we turned on the lights, stayed up for 24 hours. Um, and tried to get the field ready. Uh, you know, how we got our locker room. Uh, we won the conference tournament that year in 2007 at Abilene. Uh, we at, the, at that time, we shared uh, locker room facilities with the Colts. We got back. All our stuff was just thrown out on the field, uh, just sitting there. Um, and so uh, it became quite apparent uh, we needed uh, maybe our own facility for that. Um, Lloyd Norris, who is given so much to this community uh, in many, many areas. Uh, I, I hadn't met him, uh, but he'd given us some money uh, and, and asked me, you know, it was like $10,000, I think. And I was like, well, I don't think it's quite enough for a locker room, but that's what we need. Uh, he and, you know, his family stepped up and, and provided that for us. And so we built that, built some cages. Uh, then eventually uh, the Colts, uh, you know, file for bankruptcy and all that. And, uh, you know, we were able for First Community uh, Credit Union and Bill Nicolak, who, uh, who held the note, uh, gifted that to ASU. Um, Dr. May had a ton to do with that. And then it became Angelo States. And once it became Angelo States, it 
acted like Angelo State. And so, I mean, that's the one thing. Our facilities in every sport are unbelievable. The upkeep of it is tremendous, and we take a lot of pride in that. And so that's when we redid all the seats. We added turf. We got the padded walls because before that, you needed a tetanus shot anytime you ran into it because you had a screw or something going through your arm. Uh, and uh, and then Lloyd, we added on to, uh, to our indoor facility as well and added two more cages. So um, facility-wise, it is unbelievable. Um, and then you talked about the community. So that's the one thing. Um, I think I'm accurate on this, but all everything that's been done to the field, to everything has been through community. It has not used any school dollars um, for that. Um, I, I believe I'm correct on that. But uh, if not, the communities, if it's not 100 percent, it's it's a lot. And so it just how much the community's gotten behind us, uh, obviously, game wise, you know, Jeremy, I think, mentioned it earlier. Maybe, uh, you know, we lead the attendance every year. We outdraw most D1 schools. It's not close. Um, and so how much they support us by showing up and then how much they supported us uh, monetarily through just being generous. Kevin Brooks with us, head coach of Angelo State Rams Baseball here in the West Texas Law, Money, and Sports. Going off what Greg just said, San Angelo's always had a love affair, I think, for baseball. You think West Texas, a lot of people think, of course, high school football, which is true. But, I mean, over 31,000 this past year in attendance for a Division II program. You go to most Division II schools, there's maybe 100 people there at games, and you have well over 1,000. In fact, in the regionals, you had over 3,000 for one single game. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there's a love affair with people in San Angelo and baseball and especially Angelo State baseball? I think our players. Our players do so much, uh, you know, in the community. And I'll brag on them a little bit uh, because, you know, one thing that's just part of you're not going to see if we go do something, we're not going to put that out there We just, because I don't think that's the reason you do it. Um, and so our players are so involved, though, in this community and I think really just sort of one relationship at a time is sort of how we've gotten that. And our players are uh, give back so much to so many areas in the city. Uh, you know, when you go out there, you see about 8 billion kids, uh, you know, out there uh, running down foul balls and stuff. And so that's what's so awesome, um, you know, and, and it's our players going out and helping those kids, uh, you know, through baseball and through other things and, and establishing relationships, you know. I know as a kid, I mean, it's so awesome when your your hero or the guy you look up to is in your town and, and you can go watch them and then after the game you can go talk to them and, you know, and, and have relationships with them. And so I think that's one thing uh, that our players excel at and uh, so proud of the people they are uh, just as much as I am the baseball players they are. I was able to go play Division three basketball at Sol Ross, but without that opportunity, I, did, I was never going to stay in academics. I stayed in school, then went to law school. Now I've had my firm for seven years. Do you have a player, 51 players in the pros, but do you have players that you see – aren't pro players, but use baseball to have success later in life. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's one thing, too. Um, value of a college education um, and a degree is not something sometimes that 18-year-olds see, right? There are plenty we've had that we've tricked 
into getting their degree, right? You got to have this to play. And they keep going. And then they look up and they're a senior and they're like, oh my gosh, I only need two more classes. I mean, I, I have 12 degrees, but uh, I, I guess I did love school more than I thought. But, you know, I can't say I love school either. I was always doing it generally with sports as the motivation, you know. And so I look at myself, a lot of our guys can can relate to that. And then you've got some that, you know, they show up at 18, I want to do this, and they're really driven that way. But it's one of the things that's so cool about coaching in college is seeing that growth and seeing them change and mature and and get that. So I think the game so transfers to life so much, and uh, it's really cool to see them once they do graduate and they go out and they have families and become parents and become husbands and all those things and just see all the, the great things they're doing in their own communities. Back in my day, I did a lot of travel ball coaching and softball. Sometimes we weren't the most popular guys with the high school coaches, but the college coaches um, seemed to love us a lot. What would some advice be? I want want to give you an open mic here. What would you tell some of these travel ball coaches? Because I think they're having an effect on these guys like you're talking about, about education and and dedication and, and devotion to keep going, too. I think it's huge. I mean, I did that, too, uh as well when i was a young coach at incarnate word uh it was legal to do so go out and get the best high school players in san antonio and get them to play on your team and then hopefully they all want to come play for you and then i left so 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 the time those guys but we had a really good group travel ball scene has changed so much in 30 years 30 years ago is when it was sort of first going i think the travel ball coaches can have such a huge influence because I mean, those guys, I still talk to those guys all the time. You know, I think off that team we had uh, to get to the to the big leagues. Um, and then Seth Johnston was the last uh, – he was the shortstop at Texas the last time they won a Nash championship. Cody Fuller, who just passed away a couple years ago, was a huge two-sport star at Tech. I think the influence you can have because uh, the high school coach obviously is a huge, huge influence. The travel ball is, is more so back then in the summer. So you're around them every day. That's how we did it. Most teams don't do it that way anymore. They just sort of show up at games and and go play. So the system right now uh, lacks a lot on where we're at. It is definitely not uh, serving the purpose uh, that it once did. You've got some very reputable and really good travel ball coaches. Um, and then it's become such a business thing. Uh, sometimes maybe we're selling some false dreams to some kids. And uh, But if you're teaching them to be better people, then it's a win. Uh, I just think the practices are less and less now um, than they used to be 20 years ago because you're getting you know, the best two players out of St. Angelo, the best two players out of Midland. And so it's tough to practice. So you just show up at a game. And now I feel like that's sort of why we're in the me, 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 me generation because it's I'm playing for me to get a scholarship. I feel like, you know, like the old guy screaming at the clouds, but there are great things about that. That was a great system when it first started. I think we've got to get back more to being select and uh, getting the best players on the best teams, you know, sort of levels of it, which they have, you know, at the youth areas. But uh, I feel like at the youth area, you know, we can do that by staying in San Angelo area and not spending $10,000 a year because it's causing a lot of parents to go broke. I don't know what the solution is. Believe me, I think about it a lot because there's got to be a better way 
and than the way we're doing it right now because economically i mean you've got parents that are they're really struggling because every parent wants the best thing for their kid right and so they feel like they're getting left behind and then i'd always say too again you you want to be that guy you the biggest thing is you you need to be good play at a high level so i'd say spend all that time in the money in the training um rather than traveling to georgia to go play in a tournament. We're going to go with some quick fire. How about that? Quick fire. Quick fire. This is, you can't see Kevin Brooks right now, but what he's wearing is what he wears every day, pretty much. He always wears sweats. How many days a year do you not wear sweats? I'm guessing probably funerals, weddings, anything else? See, that sort of depends. I would say there are 365 days in a year. Well, even on like church, you know, as soon as I get home. I put so you don't on, wear sweats to church. That's good. Sweats. Okay. Well, and that brings me to a funny story. So my wife, when we were dating, we were, she was like, hey, uh, I'm meeting some of my college friends from Baylor. And they went to Baylor. So, uh, no, my wife didn't go to Baylor. But these friends of hers went to Baylor and were eating at a really nice restaurant. Got dressed nice. And so I said, well, so I need to wear my good sweats. And she was like, yeah, wear your good sweats. I wore my good sweats. She loves me. I'm just sort of me. Yeah, you're right. I, I'm very comfortable. Even when it's, you know, 110 in the summers, I generally have a hoodie on. Which kind of leads me to my next question. You know, we've talked about this before. You don't see Bill Belichick or NFL coaches in uniform. You don't see Popovich wearing a Spurs uniform. Why do baseball coaches wear a baseball uniform and tights? Or tight pants, I should say. <laughs> um, it well, could be tight sometimes. Originally, most of the players were player coaches. Mm-hmm. So that's that's sort of, and so it just became tradition, and that's why. And I'm fat now, so I don't look very good in the uniform anymore. I'm sure your wife still enjoys I it. I need to lose the 60 pounds. <laughs> There's your New Year's resolution there right there. Okay, so the Kevin Brooks movie comes out. Who? is playing Kevin Brooks. What what actor? It's Kevin Costner. I I love the guy, but two, so again, when I was in college, uh, because it was New Year's Eve, and I was in I was in Houston in Pasadena. I was at uh, a place, and anyway, so I was dancing with this girl, and she was like, I think maybe she had maybe had more substances than she probably should have, because she was like, you know who you look just like? And I was like, no. And she was like, Kevin Costner. And I, that's when I knew she probably was over the limit. So anyway, Kevin Costner, who I've met. I sat by him. You look nothing like Kevin Costner. I look, my wife says I do. How many substances <laughs> has she had? Wow. Speaking of dancing, how do you think you would do if there was a San Angelo coaches dancing with the stars? Awful. And what would be your go-to song? Awful. I went to Baylor. So no dancing. Uh, there's no dancing. Uh, you know, though, what's weird. What would be your go-to I song? I had to take a dancing class to graduate. And did you pass? I did. I did very well. I taught the La Raspa, also known as the Mexican hat dance. That one, you know. Would that be your go-to dance if you had one song to pick for dancing with the stars? I don't think so. I can two-step, you know. I'm good at that. Okay. I don't know if I'm good. I know how to do that. You get the two steps down. But like any of the fancy moves, like the water sprinkler or any of that stuff, no. Running man, the soldier boy, <laughs> uh, you know, those are not, not good. I have no rhythm. This podcast is called, you know, West Texas Law of Money and Sports. And it's all about West Texas. And you've been in West Texas for over 20 years. Why are you still in West Texas? Why have you chosen to stay here? The people. Never been to San Angelo in my life till we came here. But so I got here, and I was here about a 
month, maybe two months. Dad gum, you know, these people are so fake because they're so nice, like over the top nice. And, you know, I'm from Texas and everybody's nice in Texas. And then I got here and then I, you know, got longer and longer. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's it's genuine. It's over the top nice and just caring about your neighbor. And it's the people, you know, I had lots of opportunities to leave and the people keep me here. Trying to get players to come to San Angelo. Tell us a little bit, you know, we talk a lot in the law business, um, injury, personal injury law. If you're going to hire a lawyer, one of the things I would ask anyone to do is ask the lawyer, have you actually been in trial? Have you actually have results in the courthouse when it matters? Um, Which we have. We pride ourselves on that. But when you're trying to get a player to come play for you, what are some things that you're selling them on? What are some things that you're needing to get that player to come to San Angelo? Well, that's the biggest thing that you just said. Um, You know, we live in a world where truth is definitely up, up for discussion on what truth is. You know, Jim Rome, a big sports radio guy, and when I was in San Antonio, I listened to him quite a bit. You know, he always says scoreboard. Bottom line, that's that's what we sell. We sell scoreboard. We sell scoreboard on, one, Angelo State is a great school. Um, it's a great place to get your degree from. It means something. Second, we sell them baseball-wise. You want to see how good you can get. We are the best school. We think we're better than Texas, A&M, Tech, Vanderbilt, Tennessee. It don't matter. We're the best school in the country at developing baseball players. We don't get guys that were drafted out of high school. We get guys nobody ever heard of. We take them to that next level. We have the facilities to do that. And then we win. And that's one thing that – is interesting in the recruiting process. So, you know, you ask a guy, hey, what are you looking for? Because some guys may be looking for the best uniforms. Unfortunately, there are people that's important to them. And everybody says, I want to win. Then you find out, do they really want to win? Because a lot of that's lip service for some. We've been really good at finding those guys that really want to win. And those guys end up generally – going just a huge leap as far as their ability to 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 get better at baseball and to contribute to a team and we've sort of uh, been very blessed in the fact we're able to sort of sift through a lot of the stuff and and get to what's real and we miss obviously but uh, we've hit a whole lot and you know that's the one thing I still say that you've got to have a certain amount of ability um, to to play the game at the at this level but it's probably one of the most overrated components. It's what, how hard you're going to work, how much better are you going to get, how mentally tough are you, all those things um, generally contribute the most to whether you're going to be successful. Something that a lot of people don't know, but being a 39-year-old retired cop trying to get in law school, a uh, degree from Angelo State made every bit of difference. So there, there's a reason that, that we're one of the best-kept secrets out there. People don't realize what they're going to get. But number one, your favorite walk-up song. Okay. And number two, the most unusual walk-up song. <laughs> oh, gosh, those are good. Because, you know, when I played, we didn't have walk-up songs. So, a matter of fact, where the walk-up song started was at Texas A&M, who I despise, even though I did coach there. So they started it with that 1989 team, which is still, in my opinion, the greatest team in college baseball history that didn't even make it to the World Series. Ben McDonald got them twice on the last day of the regional. So the walk-up song started there. So I'm going to start with my favorite one was Chuck Knobloch's. 
which was Chucky's in Love. Chucky's in Love. It was great. The walk-up songs have changed so much. I was out recruiting this one, and it just, I loved the song. I was just surprised he got it past the censors. Um, it was Love Me Sexy, which is actually from Semi-Pro. Yeah, that's how he bought the team. His hit, Love Me Sexy. Rangers or Astro? Oh, man. So that's a long story, too. So growing up, I lived in Waco. So we're sort of equidistant, a little further Houston than to Texas. Huge Ranger fan, huge Astro fan, because one was in the American League, one was in the National League. Didn't really have to worry about them meeting in the World Series. There was no interleague play. So at that time, that was when the Astros got... You know, they had J.R. Richard and Mike Scott and, you know, Jose Cruz and all that. So they had some pretty good runs. And I remember, especially 86, played the Mets in that great series and pretended like I was sick, you know, from school that, because it was an afternoon game. That way I could stay home and watch that. And then that got rained out. So I had to be, like, really sick because I had to get two days of it. Huge Astros fan. Then... Major League Baseball said, hey, we're going to put them in the same division. And I had to make a choice. And I wanted the Rangers, which obviously was very painful for many, many years. This year was, I mean, goodness gracious. We win a national championship. Mm -hmm. The Rangers win a national championship. And this is going to sound weird because I'm a fan. You know, like I'm a fan of the Rangers. Android State, I do it. So it's really two different sort of things. But as a fan, the Rangers winning was way more emotional than us winning. I don't know if people understand that. I understand it because I, I guess I'm the one that felt it. Because you're a fan. Well, yeah, I, can, I can't control the Rangers. I, I, I have some effect upon Angel Estate. It was a great year, but I'm a Ranger guy. Uh, stuck with them. You know, I, w- I was born in 70, so they didn't come till 72, but uh, a lifetime of suffering. Uh, Coach, talking about uh, in this podcast, we always try to bring some money aspect into it. Coaching as a career. I started out coaching six-man football after uh, teaching at Sol Ross and then before law school. Uh, there may be someone right now listening to this podcast who's thinking about a career in coaching. A baseball coach, football, whatever it is. Talk about the pros and cons of just coaching as a career. I would tell you, if you're going to do it for the money, don't do it. I feel like most of it's calling more than anything else. Um, I think the first decision most people are faced with is, do I want to coach in high school? Do I want to coach in college? Um, I was very adamant that I did not want to coach in high school um, due to the fact I did not want to coach football. I wanted nothing to do with football. So I I pursued the college route. Uh, You know, I think financially you're going to make more um, probably in high school than you will in college. But I think, you know, the routes you go uh, are different. So, for example, mine, and I still, you know, I didn't really get paid until I became the head coach here. And I was 34 years old. When I graduated Baylor, I, I was really lucky. I got a graduate assistant job uh, at Incarnate Word in San Antonio. That paid for uh, my school. And that was, I went into the athletic director, um, Chris Beard, um, who, you know, coached here and stuff. So uh, he and I were together there. Um, Steve Watts, he's the head basketball coach at Western Kentucky, was there. So we had some really good dudes. <clears throat> so we were in charge of ticket sales and concessions. You know, remember Beard sort of sucked at 
heating up the nachos and that paid for our tuition uh, i was lucky enough i got a dorm director job and uh so i was in charge of the dorms and so i got free room free board and 600 bucks a month and thought i was loaded because i had no expenses so it was awesome did that uh got hired full-time at incarnate word danny heap who actually played on that 86 mets team was the head coach there and hired me that and uh i was Doing that, uh, running the school's wellness center, and I think I was making like 35000 which was like, now I'm really loaded. And I did that for two months. Uh, Texas A&M approached me uh, on the volunteer position job, and I figured, you know, like volunteer, it's not really volunteer. It's really volunteer. Did that for a year, then got married, uh, moved back to San Antonio where my wife was, took a job at UTSA as the assistant coach for $8,000 a year. Went to Hardin-Simmons when we moved out here. Drove back and forth for three hours every day to Abilene. I think I made I made more at Hardin-Simmons than I did uh, at UTSA. And then they started the job here. Let's say 10 years ago. Is it more difficult or how much more difficult is it to coach kids in 2024 than 2014, whether it's high school or college. Talk about the challenges you might have now that you didn't have 10 years ago. For, well, for some reason, and I don't know why it is, um, I think it's easier. And I think there are a lot more challenges, but for some reason, my personality, I think, meshes better with this generation. Um, I, I'm like the dude that tries to be cool that's not, but they see I'm trying. <laughs> so I don't know. I seem, but it is different. And again, you got to get the right kind of guys. But I think they see uh, the work that our coaches put in, and I think they respect that. This generation is pleasers. They want to please, um, which is great. And if you ask them to do it, they're going to do it. Now you may have to, we may have to adjust just a little bit on how we're doing it. But I think the intent is great, and so I've loved coaching this. Uh, this group, you know, and, and obviously there's a huge difference between guys from five years ago and five years before that on just sort of their makeup and stuff. But I don't know if I've gotten better or, or maybe now I'm finally mature enough to be at their level. Coach, one, what's the one thing when hiring a, an assistant coach, when bringing on staff, maybe the secretary, whoever it may be, are there a few things in just looking for the right person to fit your group that you're looking for? The biggest thing is trust. That's the number one thing, trust and loyalty. Um, you know, the and the guys we have currently, I mean, Sam Moat and Adam Foster are just awesome. Then the other thing is you want to hire somebody better than you, um, which they're both way better than me. And then bring somebody that brings different things that I don't want to hire anybody that's like me. Um, the one is enough. Different personalities, different areas of expertise. And uh, right now, I'm telling you, it's, it's just a... It's, it's synergy, you know, that's a word we use where, you know, some of the parts is greater than the whole. And, uh, boy, we have that. Each of us individually, but you put us together and it exceeds because we all sort of thrive off of each other. We all have different strengths, different weaknesses. Um, we all communicate differently and have different personalities. But, you know, we trust one another and, and extremely loyal to each other. Coach, best piece of advice, if you're taking it from the – Taking it from the sports world and you're putting it in the business world, best piece of advice that you can give somebody to live life and be successful. 
personally, I think you have to have a relationship with with Jesus Christ to to be successful. And and that's how do you want to measure success, right? But ultimately, that's it. Then the other thing is, you know, I learned from my high school coach. He was a a guy that had a huge influence on my life. And so when I was in high school, I played a really good um, baseball program, Waco Midway High School. That freshman year, went out for practice. I got cut. I mean, I wasn't even good enough to be on the JV. I would say up to that point, I wasn't the hardest worker. I was just, I was pretty good. Boy, that was a wake-up call. It's still the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. Ken Beverly was the coach. Thank him a ton. He was like, your speed needs to get better. You need to get stronger. You need to do this. And so I set out and I just got after it. I made the varsity the next year and started. And then that's something I've taken. I love talking to successful people. One, most successful people feel like they deserve to be successful because they put in the work. Hard work doesn't always guarantee success. Very few people actually have success, didn't really work hard. And so that's the biggest thing. It doesn't guarantee you're going to have success, but you feel like you earned it and you deserve it. And two, obviously, you probably get better at whatever it is you're wanting to do. That's just the biggest thing for me is uh, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. So, you know, I'm just going to try to work harder. Coach, uh, we talked about a little before podcast. Um, You've talked about having the best um, pitcher in the country, but do you have a role player, that one utility player that just fit a bunch of different needs that really led to your success? See, I might start crying talking about Jordan Williams. Jordan Williams has just been uh, that guy. Um, You know, you said filled all the positions. He actually did play, uh, I think, his sophomore year every position in a game. He still likes to make sure everybody knows that he has the lowest ERA in Angelo State history at zero. Jordan Williams is somebody that's so special um, to this program, Angelo State and just the people that got to be around him. So he's from Round Rock High School, played on that state championship team, played center field, batted in the nine hole. Okay, Most of the time, there are not a lot of nine holes that probably go on to play college. I mean, just if you're batting in the nine spot, generally for a reason. But And they were a really talented team, so he had a lot of good players around him. So he came here, and, and how he even got an invitation to come here is, is always one of my favorite stories. Uh, Sam Kohler, that was our second baseman for 2015 and 16 World Series teams, after that season ended and his career was over, we had our last meeting, and he was like, you know, I'm still mad at you. Dad, go, man, why are you mad at me? He's like, because you didn't let me come here out of high school told him to go to junior college because I didn't think he was good enough. I was like, well, dude, you weren't good enough and you weren't going to play. He looked at me and he was just like, really? And I knew what he meant by that was he would have found a way and he would have ended up on the field and he would have played really well. And so Jordan Williams was a guy that we reminded us a lot of Sam Kohler. They came from the same program, same top build, same top player. As soon as Sam walked out of my office, I picked up the phone, called Jordan Williams, said, hey, you know, we got a spot for you. No money, no nothing, but we got a spot. And before I was like, Sam made me make one of the best decisions I've ever made. He redshirted the fre- his freshman year, was an outfielder. We moved him to third base. The next year, he was uh, All-American as a freshman, a gold glove winner, led that team to, to the Super Regionals, you know, held that down for three years, had the COVID year. Um, which allowed him to come back. And then last year uh, we did a position change on him. He went to first base, won the gold glove there, um, broke the all-time hit record 
for Angelo State and became that. I think he also broke the RBI record, the double record, just everything. But just the consummate teammate of making guys around you better. You know, God did not grant him with, uh, you know, the greatest of tools. But, man, uh, talking about developing those tools and making them as good as you can and making people around you better. So, so excited uh, for him to get to walk off that plane with that national championship trophy. Just a special, special person. We could sit here and talk all day with you uh, about everything from leadership, success, uh, being a mentor, a role model. You've done it all. Uh, 20 years this year. That's amazing. My last question here is you talked about honesty with him. What role does honesty in coaching when you have to sit there and talk to a player that just just can't make it or isn't doing good during the season, whatever that may be, just honesty and then how you use that? I've always always told our guys, you know, um, I'm going to be honest because here's the deal. When I tell you you're doing good, you need to know I'm really telling you you did good. So I'm telling you you did bad. That needs to be honest both ways, or else we don't really know what good is. For us, we have a saying, the standard doesn't change. If you can't get to that standard, sorry, find a way to get there, or it's not going to be good enough. So our standard doesn't deviate. You know, there are benchmarks, for example, you know, pitching, right? If you're right-handed, if you're going to pitch for us, you need to throw 90. I mean, that's, that's the number. Well, I can really spot up and throw 82. That's great. It's not going to work here. And how, though, they can get to that standard. I think that's it. But, I mean, you know, you're like, you throw 84. Our guys throw 90. Sometimes that guy that's 84 that's 6'5", weighs a buck 70. And our marks are like, that guy, yeah, I can picture him being 90. But, unfortunately, if you're 5'6", and 180, probably you don't see that growth. And it's just, yeah, you got to be honest. And it stinks. That is the most awful part of the job and also saying this is my opinion it does not mean i'm right i've been wrong about guys before but i got to be honest with you this is where we see you here's the standard we need you to get at for you to be of interest to us especially when players first get there our falls are always awful and i feel like i don't say a good thing to anybody the whole fall and and at times I'm like, dudes, I'm sorry. I keep, you know, saying no, 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 no. But I'm going to say yes if you keep working. And then when I say yes, you know I'm not I'm not fooling you full anything. It's the truth. And so some people take that sometimes as negativity. It's not. It's, it's, it's doing it honestly. You want to get to the point where you say yes, but I'm not going to say yes just because you tried real hard. That's not good enough. I think this generation understands it better. At least the ones I deal with every day, definitely, they they get it. And they understand we're all on the same team and we're trying to achieve the same goals. And this just proves, like I said before, those games you do get thrown out and ejected. You'd be great up in the booth with us because you do just as good in the booth as you do on the field. I wish they allowed me when I got kicked out to go up into the booth because then I'm sure I could be very more insightful, especially maybe towards the umpires that day. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure that would be great for your future. Might be your last game ever coaching. Yeah, I can't Uh, wait till the last one. It's going to be really good. You'll know. You'll know when I'm done. What does that mean? It just means you'll know. You'll know. I think... You already have this planned out in your head what's going to happen the last day you coach. Oh, yeah. How, how much longer, by the way? How old are you? How old are you again? You are how old? 
53. How many year, more years do you think? Well, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I really like it, and I don't feel like I work. I may just die on the field. I think there's a pretty good chance of that. And I may never retire. I have no hobbies. What am I going to do? I think I'll probably just do it forever. But they may retire me at some point. That That's always a possibility. I'm going to go, I'll be your sidekick. I'll Wait. carry the speakers in and the microphone. And then every once in a while, I'll have a dynamite drop in. <laughs> Less is more with you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Kevin, we appreciate it. I mean, I know Austin and Greg, we appreciate having us be our, our first guest here on the West Texas Law, Money, and Sports uh, podcast. And sports is the last word of the name of the show, but yes. sports came first as our first guest. Thank you so much for being here. Um, this podcast is meant to entertain, inform, and educate a little bit. Uh, some takeaways I've got, honesty, keep your standards, and hire your weakness. And I'll take those into my business. Awesome. Well, it was an honor to be here. Really enjoyed it. I mean, this is great. Wish you all a ton of success. Coach, thank you for being an example. Uh, thank you for being showing us how, how being an athlete and being in athletics transfers over into our world. You know, we, we watch you and we see you living that every day. And just to hear you verbalize it and, and talk about it, it's been a blessing. And uh, also, I love hearing about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So thank you for being here. We appreciate you, and God bless West Texas. Awesome. Thank you all. Subscribe today to West Texas Law, Money, and Sports. We'll see you next time.